Chapter Twelve of Laramie Holds the Range by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter Twelve: The Barbecue. Whatever the shortcomings of the American Frontier Code, there never was a time in its history when a man could violate the principles of fair play and keep public opinion on his side. In this instance, Stone's conduct reacted unfavorably on the cattlemen. The townspeople that made money out of the trade of the big ranches always stood up for the cattlemen, but they were put most unpleasantly on the defensive by the incident. Even had Stone's attempt on Laramie's life succeeded, it would have been easier for the partisans to handle than the failure it proved. As a fait accompli, it would have been regretted, but forgotten. As a failure, it settled nothing. Among the few townspeople that sturdily retained independence of opinion on all matters, none stood higher than the surgeon, Dr. Carpy, and encountering Doubleday in the street shortly after the stone incident, he took it on himself to talk to him. The doctor had his office at his home, but back of the prescription case in his little drug store, no bigger than a minute, he had a small room for emergency consultations. To this he invited Doubleday, and, having ushered him in, seated him and closed the door. Carpy sat down. "'There's few men, Barb, in this country,' the doctor began, "'that dare talk to you the way you ought to be talked to. Of them few, I'm probably the only one that would take the trouble. Your enemies won't talk, and everybody friendly with you is afraid of you. You've got so much property and stuff here, they're plumb afraid of you. I'm a poor man, Barb. Don't ever expect to be anything else, and I don't give a hang for anybody, averred the erratic surgeon. And nobody gives a hang for me. Doubleday, chewing the stub of a cigar, eyed his medical adviser with an unsympathetic stare, but this in no way disturbed the self-appointed critic. "'For a long time now, Barb,' he continued, "'you've been in the nastiest kind of a fight on Jim Laramie. You've tried to run him off the range, and you've tried to beat him out of his land, and you've tried to break him. He's got the best land in the falling wall, and he's in your way.' One time his wires all pulled off his fence. Another time your foreman pokes a gun into his stomach. Doubleday flared up. Am I the only man that Laramie's got differences with? When his fence is tore down, am I to blame? Am I to blame for every drink Tom Stone takes? What are you talking about? demanded Doubleday with violence. The doctor could not have been calmer had he been reaching at the critical moment of an operation for Doubleday's appendix. Be patient a minute, be calm, Barb. I'll tell you what I'm talking about. I don't know who cut his wire. I don't know who done it, and I won't undertake to say. But what I do say to you, Barb, and I say it hard, you're making a big mistake on this man, and if you don't slow up, it'll cost you your life yet. Doubleday was grimly silent. I've known Jim Laramie, Carpy went on, since he was a boy. He's stubborn as a bronco if you try to ride him. He's the easiest man in the world to get along with if you make a friend of him. No matter what's said of Jim Laramie, there ain't a crook's hair in his head, but he's no angel, and when his patience quits, look out. What I'm going to tell you now, Barb, is on the square. 
It can't go no further. I tell you because you ought to know. A while back, just after his wire-pulling, Jim Laramie walked into this room, shut the door and locked it and sat down right where you're sitting now. He told me the wire story. He told me he was through. He had tracked the man to your ranch, and he was going to square accounts with you and Stone and Van Horn. He was on his way to the junction, and he told me he might not come back, and wanted to tell me how to dispose of his property. He was after you, and he meant, before he fell down, to get some or all of you. He asked me where you were, because he heard I knew. I did know, but I didn't tell him. I lied, Barb. I told him the mines. But I knew you were at the junction. He started for the mines. What happened to turn him off your trail, I never yet learned. I never asked. Now you saw, or you heard anyway, what happened when Stone tried to kill him the other night. That man never can get Laramie, and don't depend on Stone and Van Horn to play you fair. For if they had to save their hides, Barb, they'd sell you. My advice is this. Put back Laramie's wire. Let the cattlemen, you and Pettigrew, to lead them, do it to clear their own names. Say you know nothing about it, but it was a dirty trick. And tell this town that cattlemen fight, but they fight fair. It'll do more to set you right and set everything else right on the range than anything else you could possibly do. And don't make a mistake. Laramie will follow the wire pulling for years, but what he'll get the man that did it. I know him. He's got a memory like an Indian. With all well-meaning and candid friends, the doctor found himself at once in a deal of angry abuse. But, as he explained, he had taken so much abuse from patients at various periods of his career, and abuse fully justified, that nothing Barb could add, deserved or undeserved, to the volume would move him. As our old governor back in Wisconsin said, Barb, I seen my duty and I done it, was the doctor's only retort to Doubleday's wrath. Now, if you're in a hurry, Barb, don't let me keep you. Not a minute. I had my say, and if there's anything pressing you down street, go to it. But angry as Doubleday appeared, Carpy had given him something to think about. Consultations were held, by precisely whom no one could say, but in them there was dissension. Van Horn vehemently opposed any further overtures to Laramie, and he was vastly put out at being overruled. While the discussions were going on, he talked in a veiled but emphatic way to Kate about the queer way her father was acting. Van Horn would shake his head with violent emphasis at the way things were going, but when Kate poured oil on the waters of his discontent, Van Horn was always responsive and stayed to supper, or for the evening, if he were asked, and Kate was alone. On the gentler side, however, he could make no headway. When he tried headaches for sympathy, Kate was stony-hearted. When he asked her one day at the spring to take down her hair, she told him she wore a wig. He looked at her amazed. And in spite of his objections to placating Laramie, a decision very unpalatable to him was reached. Pettigrew, as spokesman, approached Laramie and insisted, in order to allay bad feelings, on replacing the barbed wire. When Laramie declared the wire must be put back by the men that had cut it, 
there was naturally an impasse but tennyson and carpy aided jointly by the representations of lefevre and saudi induced laramie to forego his punitive attitude and accept the amend as offered this as the doctor had predicted put a pleasanter face on the tangled affairs of the range and to strike while their iron was hot and to keep it hot the cattlemen announced a big fourth of july celebration at which old scores should be forgotten and friends and enemies meet in good fellowship the place for it after much talk was fixed at doubleday's ranch the saloon-keepers of sleepy cat except tennyson fought this but they lost out since her own home was to be the scene of the celebration kate took a particular interest in the undertaking she made herself in a way hostess and her father gave her free rein. The eager crowd that responded to the public invitation found awaiting them, as they picturesquely rode in twos and threes and groups up the creek to the ranch house, all the fixins for a rousing celebration. Men came for as much as fifty miles, and some of them by trails and overpasses Kate had never even heard of. There were cattlemen, cowboys, sheepmen, little ranchers all the conflicting elements of the country besides a crowd from sleepy cat with the band and all the town loafers that could possibly secure conveyance there was for these latter worthies the attraction of a free feed for they knew the prodigality of cattlemen but there was also the underlying hope that where so discordant elements were assembled a fight might occur and nobody wanted to miss a fight the principles necessary for a serious affair were present the fact that all were armed was not significant merely prudent men careless on this point were no longer attending celebrations of any sort around sleepy cat from the falling wall came the rustlers every one of them except doubleday's old foreman abe hawk who scorned all pretense of compromise. He advised Laramie not to go near the celebration. When Laramie intimated he might go, Abe was greatly incensed. A master of bitter sarcasm, he trained his batteries on his sandy-haired friend, and these failing, he warned him he would be in serious danger. He intimated that the scene was to get the rustlers all together and finish them in a bunch in which event one as hated as laramie could hardly hope to escape unmolested but laramie persisted in his resolve to go and he went dr carpy made it a point to go he was usually needed professionally at fourth of july celebrations but on this occasion he was in a matter of fact a sort of sponsor for the whole affair and he brought Saudi, Lefevre, and Tennyson along. The four drove out in the smartest wagon and behind the best team in the kitchen barn, kitchen with them and McAlpin driving. By noon the big end of the crowd had arrived. The barbecue tables were set out under the trees along the creek. The roasting itself was in the skilled hands of John Fryingpan, and before one o'clock he was ready to serve. 
Doubleday had told Kate, when arranging for the tables, that his particular friends would sit at his table, and she was on her way down to the creek to ask him how many would be in the party, when whom should she find him talking with, of all men, but Laramie, who had just ridden over from the falling wall. Before Kate could retreat, her father had seen her. He called her over. To her astonishment, he insisted on introducing her to his friend, Jim Laramie, of whom he was making as much as it was possible to make of a woolly, undemonstrative man. The band not far away was playing full tilt. Kate wished they could have made even more noise to hide her confusion. But there was nothing except to face the situation, much as it surprised her. Laramie, unfortunately, seemed indisposed to say anything. He spent most of his time listening. Kate, being far from animated, her father was left to do the honors. And on such rare occasions as Barb was communicative, he was quite capable of good fellowship. Laramie, however, seemingly under some restraint, soon made excuses and left to join the crowd. Some of the little ranchmen had brought their wives along. A few of these women had their babies with them and Kate returned to the house where she made the mothers comfortable. There her father afterwards ran across her. He stopped as he came up. You remember that man I introduced you to, Laramie? Very well, asserted Kate, wondering. Treat him well at dinner. But I'm going to eat here at the house, he shook his head. You eat at the creek at my table. She had no choice but to obey. When she returned to the pits, the stones had been removed, and John Frying Pan, with a pair of sleepy cat ice tongs, was lifting out the first big chunks of roasted meat. The crowd, being called, ran for the creek, whooping and yelling, and while Kate watched John and his helpers dish up the meat, the guests, nearly all men, seated themselves pell-mell at the long benches. It was a nauseous assemblage, overflowing with good nature, and when Kate, very trim in corduroy, appeared again at the tables, the demonstrative ones rose and led in a burst of cheers. Kate enjoyed it, but when they began calling for a speech, she ran to join her father. She found him and the old man Pettigrew at the table, Laramie calmly seated with them, and the fourth place waiting for her. Van Horn, as host to other cattlemen and guests, presided at the next table. Unluckily, where he sat, he could see Laramie opposite Kate. But if he was discomfited, the group at the next table below, where Dr. Carpy presided, flanked by Lefevre, Saudi, Kitchen and McAlpin was correspondingly elated at the spectacle of the falling wall and the crazy woman sitting in harmony. Despite the unpleasant stories Kate had heard about him, she found nothing to complain of in Laramie's manners. But he was, she told herself, on his good behavior, and under the circumstances would naturally try to appear at his best. Little as she relished her assignment of making things pleasant for him, the friendly spirit of the occasion to some extent infected her, and soon she found it not difficult to help along with small talk and make the queer combination at the table go. 
there was really no great need for her to work hard in this way both her father and pettigrew were very lively laramie seemed a bit dazed at being set up with such honors in the house of his enemies but though he did not volunteer much when kate said anything that afforded a chance for comment he improved it the talk went a good deal to cattle and range matters but pettigrew a crafty fellow told good stories about men that everybody in and out of sleepy cat knew and appealed frequently to laramie for confirmation or a laugh some of the laughs he got were a little dry but they were not ill-natured and kate enjoyed the rough humor the two cattlemen finished their dinner and without ceremony got up to see how the crowd was being served leaving kate with laramie how do you like old pettigrew was the first thing laramie asked as the bearded cattleman moved away with her father the only thing i don't like about him answered kate candidly is his eyes she was looking at laramie as she spoke you are a good observer he said how so a man's eyes are all there is to him you don't mind if i smoke not a bit he drew a sack of tobacco from his breast pocket not going to run away are you he was fishing for cigarette paper when he asked he spoke as if he had no special interest in the matter yet the question startled her kate had not made a move to go but she was thinking when the question came of how she might manage to escape she flushed a little at being anticipated in her intention just enough perhaps to let him see he had caught her not to say irritated her as luck would have it van horn who had risen sauntered towards them kate was glad just then to see him i hope you got enough to eat she said as he approached he seemed stiff kate did not realize what he was put out about he made some answer and turned to laramie she felt at once the friction between the two men not for anything she had reason to suspect or know for she knew then nothing whatever of their personal relations nor was it from anything said for an instant neither man spoke instinct must have made her conscious for as soon as van horn looked at laramie she felt the tension well jim where'd you blow from demanded van horn after a pause laramie was making ready to smoke he was in no haste to answer nor did he look at van horn but continued cowboy fashion rolling his cigarette in the fingertips of one hand his other hand resting on his hip i didn't blow he retorted how'd you get here asked van horn i was invited van horn laughed significantly while kate would rather have been out of it she thought it proper since she was in it to say something herself i didn't suppose anybody needed a special invitation for a fourth of july celebration she interposed the town has been covered for two weeks with bills inviting everybody van horn laughed again it wasn't you invited him eh he demanded of kate the thing was said so unpleasantly she would have retorted on impulse but laramie took any possible words out of her mouth why don't you ask me who invited me barb doubleday invited me that's enough isn't it and pettigrew invited me and he added completing his cigarette in leisurely fashion 
while that wouldn't be any particular inducement you invited me van horn stared how do you make that out he asked quickly you asked me to take in this barbecue when you tried to get me to line up with you at the mountain house van horn took alarm that was put up to you in confidence he said angrily so was the barbecue responded laramie i wouldn't take in the first proposition so i'm enjoying the second he turned from van horn and ignoring him spoke to kate you remember you said you were going to show me your ponies it was kate's turn to stare you must be mistaken he did not press the subject perhaps you've forgotten was all he said when and where did i ever say that kate asked resenting the intimation he looked down then looking up his eyes rested on kate's he was not disturbed is that a challenge he asked if you wish to make it one she returned coolly the where was one day at sleepy cat junction the when was the day we rode up the falling wall river oh she exclaimed collecting herself i had forgotten do you remember now he asked and she thought there was a resentment in the question if you don't he added we'll let it go why i suppose i must have said something like that anyway she added we'll go see them to make sure i've kept a promise come mr van horn she suggested turning sweetly to him don't you want to see the ponies to include van horn it was plain to be seen it would spoil the trip for laramie but she cared little for that wait just a minute she continued i must tell john frying pan before i go to get the indians something to eat the feeling between the two men she left together flared up at once does this mean you're going to hitch up with the cattlemen after all demanded van horn laramie who had lighted his cigarette stood looking after kate i hitch up with nobody then don't spend your time hanging around kate doubleday so that's where the shoe pinches laramie threw away his cigarette as he spoke i've taken a good deal from you van horn van horn egged him on unabashed you've got your nerve with you to show up here at all a man needs his nerve van horn to do business with crooks like you doubleday passing near the two men at that moment heard the last exchange he called out in his heavy raspy voice to van horn look here harry laramie walked away and doubleday took van horn in hand you messed up things once with laramie didn't you and you didn't get him did you continued doubleday choking off van horn's words now we've got him here let me run this thing i can tell you right now you won't line him up blurted out van horn very angry doubleday had a way of raising his chin to override objection and his voice grew huskier with stubbornness just let me run this thing will you do as you please retorted van horn but with a stiff expletive that irritated barb still further then swinging on his heel van horn marched off barb was so incensed he could only keep his raised finger pointed after van horn and as his eyes blazed he shouted through a very fog of throat scrapping i will End of chapter 12